This morning, we're looking at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. We're going to be celebrating the Lord's Supper. And here's what we read. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, the stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message which is also what they were destined for. Let's pray. Lord, we gather in this room this morning or in our homes watching online. We gather in order to hear the spoken words of Scripture. We believe there's life there. And Lord, I thank you this morning for the the image of Jesus that is presented to us in this passage Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are our cornerstone, that we can build our lives on you and all the, the, the meaning that is so pregnant in this, this image. Teach us this morning what it means that you want to be the cornerstone of our lives, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. This picture of Jesus' cornerstone is actually prefigured and promised often in the Old Testament. In this passage, in, in 1 Peter 2, verses 6 through 8, in the three verses, three different Old Testament passages are, are quoted, two from Isaiah, one from Psalms. And he's reminding us that this idea that I'm presenting, Peter's saying, about Jesus being a cornerstone, is not a new idea. This has been one of the, the most powerful visuals portraying what Christ would be to his people from centuries before he ever appeared on earth. The cornerstone, or as some call it, the foundation stone, is derived from the idea of the first stone set in the construction of a masonry foundation. And all of it, it was typically flat on all sides. It was something you then lined up all of your other stones that would be in this masonry construction, and then you built on top of it. It provided you not only the, 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 the level, it also provided the angles because then you would line with one side, you would line with the other side. The cornerstone was the foundation to everything in the building. Everything else aligned with the cornerstone. So the question I want to broach as we look at the, this passage is what does this image of the cornerstone tell us? And the first thing I think, and we see these in these verses, is that he is saying Jesus is the cornerstone. You must accept the fact that there is a cornerstone outside of yourself. And that is actually foundationally what he's saying here. And he's saying you don't have to believe it's Jesus. Matter of fact, some of the people alluded to here don't. Some of them, it says, they, they, they chose a different cornerstone. They, they said the builders, well, the builders rejected that one because in our minds, it's not quite what they were looking for or they didn't see how it worked. And so they've rejected him as the cornerstone. But the implication is they're all builders. They're building on something. And they may not choose. They may say, I don't, I don't get it. I mean, this whole idea of, of building your life on somebody that died 2,000 years ago, it makes no sense to me. I mean, how do you align your life with, with, with a, a dead man called Jesus, who actually is how he's described in, by one of the uh, 
governors in, in the book of Acts. And so they don't get it. They don't buy. But what, Paul, what Peter is, is reminding us is, you may not take Jesus Christ as the cornerstone of your life, but you do have a cornerstone. There is something you're aligning your life around. There is something that gets you up in the morning. There's something that keeps you going. There's something that, that energizes you. And when you sense it is being lost or it is, is in danger, your world will be rattled. We'll see more of that in a minute. But people, some people try to build their, their lives on themselves as the cornerstone. Secularism that says there's no need of God is visualized in a powerful way in the 1960s during pop culture when there was a philosophical movement called the existentialist. The existentialist had this perspective. Basically, existence precedes essence. This is the famous phrase that they use. And basically, it is saying, look, there's no essence that precedes your existing. Everything that you build your lives around, everything that provides essence to your life came after you existed. Here's what they're saying. You may say in your life, you know what? I need a God. So you create a God. I want to have something to worship. I want to have something to, to it gives me security. It gives me safety. And, and so I'm going to create a God that becomes my essence. Existentialists would say, well, realize what you're doing, and that's fine. Choose whatever you want. But there is no such thing as something predating existence. There's nothing outside of yourselves, they would argue strongly, there's no such thing as a purpose to life. Because a purpose to life or meaning to life means there's something outside of you that you can tap into and you can find your purpose or you can find your meaning. It says, no, we're just a, a mass of protoplasm. We, you know, we sort of climbed out of the primeval swamp and worked our way up and here we are, just matter and, and we exist. And so once we exist in order to keep going, we define or create an essence. But there's no essence Behind us, this is an existentialist, and actually this is, this is found in much of postmodern thought. But the idea is that life itself has no meaning. And so they created during that time many different books and plays. One of the famous plays was, and, and their theaters were called the Theater of the Absurd. And one of their, their famous plays, a shorter one, is called Waiting for Godot. And it was by Samuel Beckett. It's about two guys. Here they are. And this is actually the play. And Vladimir and Estragon meet under a tree and converse as they're both waiting for Godot to show up. Midway through the play, and they're just sort of hanging, talking, just doing life, you know, waiting for Godot to come. Godot never shows. And so rather than leave, they just sort of sit there meaninglessly, their whole, their whole thing was going to be that he was going to come, but he didn't come, and so they just sort of, and the idea is they just sort of waste the whole thing, and, and finally the play ends, and they're still there, and it's just depressing. And that's the goal. You know, for most of us, they'd say, what was that about? But that's the idea. It's to say, basically, Samuel Beckett was saying, they go nowhere, they decide to leave, but they never fall. They never move. And his view is that people waiting for the essence of things to show up are fools. They should create their own essence because it will be an existence without purpose and meaning. 
There's nothing beyond themselves. There's no Godot that's going to show up. There's no meaning. There's no God. There's no, there's no higher thing to give you purpose and meaning. You just create your own and, and get going. I was struck a while back. I was talking with a, 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 woman, a young woman who was a professed atheist. And in the course of the conversation, we were talking about difficult things that had taken place in her life. And she just made this interesting statement. She said, I just want to know there's, there's a purpose in it all. And I, I, I thought, and I'm asking the Lord for the chance to refer to this someday in continual conversations with her. But it struck me what a religious statement that was. That there is the assumption there's a purpose to hard things. If there's no design to life, which there can only be if there is a designer, there's no higher purpose. There's no ultimate meaning to circumstances that happen. They just happen. Existence is just what it is. There's no essence beyond the existence and for some people, they would say, there is no cornerstone in which I'm building my life. You know, there's no real lasting thing, and I, I'm just sort of trying to create it. But there isn't something outside that I'm really looking to build my life on. For most people, I think they try to build their lives on other things as their cornerstone. They acknowledge they need something beyond themselves. They need something. They need to have meaning to life. They need to not think life is absurd. That that there is some, you know, that, that there is some meaning that I can find in purpose. And so they try to find that through a hundred different ways. Now the interesting thing in this passage is, Paul Peter is saying, I want you to choose the right cornerstone. But he's saying the builders may choose something else. There may be something else you're building your life on. But the reality is every one of us here is building our lives on something. And there is something that enables us to say, that's what I depend on for my essence as a person. That's what I depend on for, to give me worth and value and, and, and self-esteem. That's what I give, I, 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 that where I find my significance and my acceptance in myself. And when that's rattled or threatened, my whole world's thrown up for grabs. And it couldn't be all kinds of things. And they're the things that you tend to depend on or defend yourself with when the chips are down. It might be, well, you know, with everything else going on, I know I'm a good parent. It might be, I know I'm a successful business person. Well, I, I, I have a good mind, at least in most to a lot, uh, compared to a lot of people. Well, I'm in, I'm in great physical condition for this time of my life. It can be a host of things. And when your cornerstone is shaking, everything shakes. The problem with cornerstones is they're faulty. They fail us. My wife has her, her uncle now in heaven, but he was a missionary surgeon in Rwanda, Africa, Central Africa, and actually uh, started and built the largest privately owned hospital in the country and was there during the, the genocide and just an amazing story. And in his, uh, he wrote a couple of books, and he, in private also, he has acknowledged that, like most of us, he struggles with comparing himself. And he said, 
my issue with Jesus is that sometimes I, I don't look to him where I find my satisfaction. Sometimes I, I want to try to compare myself and be better than the other guys. And he has an interesting way of saying it. And he said, the problem with trying to find your value in that way of doing life is no matter how far up you cl- how high up the ladder you climb, there's always somebody above you stepping on your fingers. It's this earthy way of saying it doesn't work. You can't, no matter how far, you can say, wow, I've come stories up the ladder, but there's still somebody up there. There's still somebody that you look up and say, oh, I hate being around that guy. Why? He's the greater than, you're the less than. You don't want to be on that side of the mathematical formula. Cornerstones fail us. Cornerstones don't work. And Paul, Peter, I don't know why I want to say Paul so much. Peter tells us if you really want to have life as it is designed to be lived, you've got to align yourself. You've got to build your life on the right cornerstone. A second thing that's involved in this visual is that we, he, he is challenging us. You must accept Christ as your cornerstone. And to accept him as your cornerstone, he tells us in verse 6, is to trust in him. He says, the one who trusts in him as their cornerstone. Certainly, that means you trust in him as your Savior. That to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior is not intellectual belief. It is personal trust. I think the word trust, which is actually the translation of the same word in the original for belief, is the best way to translate all of the New Testament terms where it says believe. It means to entrust yourself. It means to recognize that Jesus Christ died the death that we should have died. What is that death? Well, it's not just the physical death. It's that Jesus Christ bore the separation from the Father on the cross. He bore an an eternal separation that we would have experienced eternally because of sins in a moment of time as an eternal being. He died the death we should have died. But he also lived the life that we should have lived. That his very righteous life is laid to our account. And as we entrust ourselves and take Jesus Christ as our Savior, it means that he died for our sins, we're forgiven it means that he lived a life that is laid to our, to our account. And we are declared righteous. And most importantly, we are declared acceptable to God. Fully embraced, fully accepted, fully belonging. Not only in God's family here, but in heaven to come. All because of what Jesus did for us. And he says, if, Jesus, if you want Jesus to be your cornerstone, you first must Trust him as your Savior. Personally, receive Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. But the second thing it involves, it means trusting him as Lord in daily experience. Peter is writing this letter to people that were in really hard spots. It's probably the most uh, suffering-centered book in the New Testament. These were people that were going through hard things. Some externally from persecution, some just because of financial pressures they were in. Just all kinds of suffering that they were experiencing. He talks about the fiery trials they were in. And he says, guys, you are suffering. You need the right corner stone. 
You need the one that you can trust in fully. Now, when you think about what a cornerstone is, a cornerstone is simply the thing that, that, that the building aligns with, but also the building sits on. The whole thing rests on it, and it's built off it. To trust in the cornerstone means that you recognize that he can bear the weight. He's solid. He's level. He can carry the load. He keeps me steady and gives me direction he, he, as I align my life with him. He gives direction, clarity, stability. And so Peter says, keep trusting. He's your cornerstone. He's the central reality that you desperately need in all of life, but particularly in times of hardship. Now, undoubtedly, people would respond to Peter the same way some of you might respond, to something like build your life on the cornerstone, make him central, align your life. You might say, keep trusting. Well, why? Why do I keep trusting? Because it seems that things right now are chaotic, out of control, a mess. And why should I trust him? It doesn't seem like things have all come together. He says, more than ever, you need a cornerstone to trust in. Others might say, well, why would I keep trusting? It seems like he'll ask me to make changes in my life or my priorities. I'm not sure I want to make. Why would I keep trusting? It seems like I'll be asked to do things that, that scare me. Why? 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 He tells us why. Because to accept him as your cornerstone is to know him as precious. That's what he says in verse 7. And the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Whoever trusts in the stone, the message is a, a paraphrase put together by Eugene Peterson, and I think he says it beautifully here. This is how he renders this verse. He says, whoever trusts in him will never have cause to regret it. You can trust in your abilities. They'll fail you. You can trust in your friends. They will let you down. You can trust in your capacities, your resources, your abilities. Nothing will provide the satisfaction. There'll always be somebody above stepping on your fingers. There'll always be circumstances that are beyond your control. There'll always be, if it's all pleasure, that ultimately you'll find they begin to not taste anymore. That there is not satisfaction in another thing that we can align our life with. That we, there's not another thing that will carry the load like the true cornerstone. And he says this in verse 7. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. For all of you that have walked with Jesus a number of years... If we could give time for all of you to share this morning, I am sure two things would come out. One would be you have faced some stuff you never expected to have to face. And that in those moments, you struggled with God. Where does he fit? How does he fit? That's what the laments are in the Psalms. The Psalms are just seasons where guys were, were all 50 of the 150, which are lament psalms. It doesn't mean a lament psalm is not a psalm where you're in pain. I mean, everybody's in pain. It doesn't mean you mourn. Well, everybody mourns. You don't have to be godly to mourn. The difference of the psalmist when he was in pain, his lament is this. God, where are you? God, how long, O oh Lord? It's trying to fit God 
into my circumstances. It's trying to fit God into your times of hardship and difficulty. But in that journey, as you wrestle through it with the Lord, you experience what the psalmist did in those 50 psalms. You get to a place where you are embracing the cornerstone and being embraced. And sometimes it's a real journey to get that. I understand that. And some of you are right there and say, I'm not there yet. I get it. Psalmist, read through the Psalms that are lament. I mean, it was a path. But when they got to the other side, when you got to the other side, I'll guarantee you could say this statement. He is precious. He's valuable. Literally, the word means he's of infinite worth. He is worthy. He's worthy to trust. He's worthy to love because he loves and he proved himself wise and trustworthy in ways I never could have seen that I could experience God's love in the context of this, whatever your this is at that moment. Peter is saying, Let him carry the load. Let him be the aligner of your life. Let him be the one you you rest on. And you will find him precious. So the third thing, he says, you must align yourself with the cornerstone. This visual picture is an ancient cornerstone. It's, uh, it's all one stone, but it's got carving in it, so it looks like something, but actually, actually just one stone. You can see how it would be the thing that everything rests on. It aligns the building where it's going. We are to align ourselves as the walls of the building. That's the whole image that's here, that he's the cornerstone. Everything else sits on it. Everything else gets steered from it. To align yourself with Christ certainly means that you receive him as your personal Savior and Lord. It also means you trust him, you depend on him, that you put your hope in him. To align with Christ also means that you submit to him and his lordship in your life. Maybe you're here this morning and say, yes, I've embraced Jesus Christ as my Savior. But the Lord right now in this service is going to say to you, Brother, sister, child of mine, I know you want to align yourself with me, but the reason you're not feeling the closeness of our relationship is there's parts of your life that you're not aligning with me. That you're trying to build a separate. You're trying to put an extension that, that has nothing to do with the cornerstone and the angles are all wrong and, 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 the, and the verticals are off. You need to give them all to me. You need to bring them all into alignment. Maybe this morning God's calling you to submit part of your life, situation going on, a relationship, whatever. To align with Christ means you trust him with the choices for your life. Whatever he's allowing in your life right now, are you willing to embrace as his loving you through it? Say, well, what do you mean by that exactly? Um, do you mean that I'm willing to love that God is going to be with me and, and, and help me in this? Or are you saying, no, I'm saying more than that. Are you willing to say, Lord, I don't understand how 
this fits into your love. But by faith, I am willing to embrace even this as part of your loving me. It's a mouthful. You don't get there in in an hour. But you wrestle through and say, Lord, you've proven yourself to be loving. You've proven yourself to be faithful. I believe you're doing it now, even in the midst of this horrifically confusing thing. Making him your cornerstone means aligning your life with his purposes in your life. And aligning with Christ means you're relying on him and not yourself. 1 Peter 5 says it beautifully. You have two options when you're facing things that make you nervous, things that cause you to be anxious. He says, you can humble yourself unto God by casting your anxieties on him. That's the alternative he's saying. Humble yourselves by casting your cares, which literally means anxieties on him, or the alternative is this. You can be proud, and instead of casting your cares, you can carry your anxieties. I'm very good at the latter. I'm guessing a lot of you are. But what it does is it disaligns us with him. See, the cornerstone was made to carry the weight. You're just some building block somewhere way up the deal. You're not designed to carry the weight. He's designed to carry the weight. You're not designed to carry your troubles. You're designed to cast. And to not cast and to come in this morning as probably many of you are, which I totally understand, and just be overwhelmed. Maybe the Lord is going to ask you this morning, say, you know, I'm not promising right now I'm going to take away all the things that cause you to be anxious. But how about you let me carry them for a while? How about you cast them? How about you say, Lord, you're right. I'm just going. I'm just sort of an autopilot. I, I just, I'm just trying to get through because there's things that are worrying, things that are about. And he says, no, intentionally cast. Why? Because to not do that is pride. Humble yourselves, verse 6 of 1 Peter 5 says, humble yourselves by casting your cares. Aligning ourselves for you, maybe this morning means taking time as we prepare for the Lord's Supper to cast your cares. To say, Lord, I'm trying to carry this thing. and Man, it's eating me alive. He says, well, you're not made to carry the load. I'm made to carry the load. I want to be your cornerstone. This morning, what we're going to do as a way of entering into celebrating the Lord's Supper is I'd like to just throw four quick questions at you. And then there's a song that's going to play. It's called Cornerstone, and I'd like us to listen. It might be hard not to sing with it. You're welcome to do that, but we're going to just have you stay seated. Here are the questions very simply in light of Jesus is the cornerstone. Have you trusted in Christ as your personal Savior? Maybe right now this morning the Lord is speaking to your life saying, this is the time. This is the moment. I've been leading you towards this. This is what you're missing. You need me as as your Lord and Savior. You need me as the cornerstone of your life. Will you not repent and turn to me as Savior and Lord this morning? Secondly, 
Is the Lord talking to you about submitting something in your life to his lordship? Maybe that's what alignment means for you this morning. Maybe he's saying, I want you to praise me for the choices that I have made in allowing these things in your life. Will you harden your heart from me or will you praise me? Because praising is part of aligning ourselves with the cornerstone. And lastly, the fourth question, will you rely on me? Will you let me carry the load? It's what the cornerstone does. Will you let me take those things and maybe this morning say, Lord, here are, here are these three things that are eating me alive. And, and I, I think I prayed about them a little while ago once, but I, man, I need to unload them. I need to continually cast them. I need to do it right now. Lord, be my cornerstone. Be my load bearer. I'm not a good carrier. I need to be a caster. And as you reflect on the words of the song, it's going to talk about Jesus as our, our righteousness as the cornerstone. It's going to talk about him being strong and weak. It's, it's the very things that we're talking about here. But as we do that, think through these questions. Have you trusted him as your Savior? Have you submitted? Are you praising? Are you relying? And let the Lord just have us use this song as a time of quiet examination as we prepare to come to celebrate his table this morning.